0: It's time to take our sins seriously, and we know this because God commands, He doesn't suggest, God commands that those who believe in Him, He commands them to be holy. Why is that? Because He is holy. That means that we must live a life that is different from what this world expects. I will go ahead and tell you that if your life as a Christian, you run across no opposition and everybody likes you and respects every one of your political views, then you are not living right. Because holiness is to be set apart, is to be different than this world. Everybody wants to be liked. Does anybody in here not want to be liked? Everybody at some point. Somebody say, well, I don't care what people think about me. But at some point, you want people to like you. Well, those who know that God commands us to be holy, we have been given a, a badge sometime. And it's not a badge of honor because we base holiness on God's holy and fallible and errant word of God. That's where we get our definition from, of holy from. But yet when we apply that to our lives, we can be seen in labels with things like intolerant. Maybe we're called stupid or repressed or unenlightened, not progressive enough. Maybe even a bigot or worse. Uh, those that believe that the Bible is true and inerrant have been called all of those and even more. And it's only going to get worse. But in some parts of the world, it's not a label that they wear. They actually lose their lives because they believe God's word is the inerrant word of God. But today's culture, they don't hear God's command to be holy. What they hear is they hear God's command to be happy. Joe Theismann, if you remember him, he was an all-star quarterback for the Redskins until he had an injury that took him out of the game. But uh, he was talking about his several marriages, and he said, God just wants Joe Theismann to be happy when he was talking about burying again. And the thing is, is that that is the mantra today. Everybody thinks that God wants us to be happy. Does God want us to be happy? Yes. His desire is not for you to be doom and gloom, and to have your head down, and, and to be defeated all the time. But at the same time, his prerogative, his main charge, is not to be happy. But our world, our culture, they put the word happy above the word holy in priority. In other words, they they want God to say, God said be happy as I am happy. What does that look like? Well, basically it means, hey, if someone wants to do whatever they want to do and it makes them happy, then let them do it. That's our culture. We have been raised to worry about us and us alone. The the self-esteem movement has created a generation of adults that think that they are entitled to something, that everything should be given to them and that their rights trump your rights. It's amazing. Now, I'm not going to get on a political rant, but it just frustrates me the fact that if we say that this is God's word and this is what he says we need to do to live, we are seen as the intolerant ones. We are supposed to tolerate everything else, but that's another sermon for another su- another Sunday. But you will find no verse in the Bible that places being happy over being holy. If you can find a verse that preaches that, then please let me know, and I will change my platform, because God calls you and I to be holy. But you see, the problem is our pursuit of happiness over holiness creates a problem for us, because Every one of us wants to be happy. We want to be satisfied. But often that leads in us taking shortcuts. That leads us into making mistakes. That leads us into carrying regrets. That leads us into experiencing pain. Because we decide and make decisions on what we want to make us happy. And not on what God has called us to do. In other words, we want what we want. But we don't want what God wants. And so the sin of placing our wants for ourselves over the wants of God has for us, will lead us to a life that God has not intended. Let me tell you something. If you are here today, and if and listen, when I preach this, I'm not holier than that. When I point at you, I got three fingers pointing back at me, just as a disclaimer, okay? But when you and I do not take our sin seriously, we are not living life as God has intended us to live. How would you like it if you go to a car dealership and you find out that you have some rich uncle or somebody's left you a bunch of money and they left you a car at this car lot and you see here a 1980? Brown Ford Pinto. Straight drive. Some of you say, well, I had one of those. Straight drive. No air conditioning. And then across from it, you see this brand new whatever you want, because I know everybody always wants a new car, right? But you see this, this this new, this great car, and you say, well, you know what? You can pick either one of these. How many of y'all would say, "Woo, give me that Pinto? No. But folks, God has given you the wildest, best ride you can ever imagine. It's called living a godly life. But when you and I place happiness over holiness, and when we let our wants trump what God wants for us, we take the Pinto. It'll get you from point A to point B. But you're going to break down a lot, and you're going to sweat a lot, and nobody's going to want to ride with you. We cannot place happy over holy. But God sees the whole puzzle when you only see your peace. We need to trust God's call today to be holy and live the life that he intends us to live. We need to take our sins seriously. That is the first step. For example, there was a minister that told his congregation, he was talking about sin and that everybody has sin and he says to them he says next week I plan to preach about the sin of lying to help you understand my sermon I want you all to read the gospel of Mark chapter 17 he left it at that and everybody left and so they came back next week and he wanted to know how many people read Mark 17 well several people in the church raised their hand Not me preacher and he said I told you we have liars because there is no Mark 17. Folks, we are all sinners. We all make mistakes. But God has got a better plan for you. He's got a better plan for me. And what is that plan? Well, the first thing we say we must do is we must live for him. We must live for him. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13-14 through 14, tell us this. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, Be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. And I love the fact it says your former ignorance, not your former stupidity. What is the difference between ignorance and stupidity? Ignorance is not knowing and doing the wrong thing. Stupidity is knowing and doing the wrong thing. But he says here, he says to, to have our minds ready for action. For us to take our sins seriously, we must live for him. We must be alert. We must be looking for ways to live for him. I remember uh, in a few things in high school, and one of them was in the driver's ed class. They had something called highway hypnosis. You ever heard of that? Highway hypnosis, you might not have known it was a thing, but you've probably done it like I have. Have you ever driven down a road or a section of the highway that you know, like the back of your hands? And This used to happen to me driving to Charleston all the time when I would go to school there. Is that you can go 20 or 30 miles and not remember how you got there. Because those lines, you know, line, 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 car, car, car. And you just all of a sudden get into your own world and you start thinking about your things. And before you know it, you've gone 20, 30 miles and you, you haven't caused a wreck, but you just haven't been thinking about what you're doing. That's very dangerous because if we're not careful, that's when we get in accidents. But folks, there is a hypnosis in the church today. It is not highway hypnosis, but it is fake religious hypnosis. You think if you've got the schedule, if you've got the right things in place, and this is my church day, this is my, my fun day, this is my family day, and you've got all these things worked out and you just go through life without consulting God's word and without taking your sin seriously, you are misguided. It's called sin insanity. You know what sin insanity is? You ever known that person, or maybe you, because I've had these things happen in my life where I sin and I can't stop. And we keep thinking, if I do the same thing, it'll turn out differently. That's the definition of insanity. is where you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Folks, we need to set our minds. We need to, to be alert. We don't need to just go through life. We need to live life as God has intended us to live. So do not be lulled or hypnotized by the road that you are traveling today. Because the good thing is, if nothing else, your road that you're traveling today led you to this service, to this sermon, to this moment, to where the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart. And I want you to understand something. Here is the, the refresher course. This is, this is the reminder. This is not a game. There is no reset button. There are no respawns. There are no do-overs. There are no mulligans. This is our life, and we live it. We have a born date, we have an end date, and we have a dash in the middle. And Let me give you a little bit of reality today. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, I want to remind you, Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back. We're going down the road and we're just living like there's no hell. We're living like there's no heaven and we're just living our life the way we want it. But Christ is coming back. This passage says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, its rider called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name was the Word of God. Does that sound familiar? If you read the book of John in the first chapter, he says, He was the Word, and he was the Word was with God. And the Word was God, speaking of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is Jesus Christ returning. And he says in verse 14, The armies in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has the name written on his robe and on his thigh that says, King of kings! and Lord of Lords. He is coming back. This is not a game. This is our lives. It's time for us to be alert and get out of the passenger seat, get into the driver's seat, and realize that when we have sin in our lives, we need to deal with it. We don't need to put it on the back burner because, again, this is not this is not me being hellfire and brimstone, but I'm telling you this much. When you get a piece of equipment And it needs to be fixed. It says, follow the manufacturer's recommendations. If you want to get it fixed right, if you want to get it working right, follow the directions. This is the the owner's manual. And God is saying, how are you doing right now with your life, living it on your own terms? How How are you feeling? By living with sin being your master. If that is you today... You're looking at the wrong book. It's time for us to take our sins seriously because Christians are left with no excuse when disregarding their sin and the sin of others. Let's read in verses 13 through 14 again. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Folks, we need to be serious. And when verse 14 says, do not act in a sinful way when you know better. He calls Christians obedient children, doesn't he? He says you are now obedient children. So what does that mean you were before you met Jesus Christ? You were a disobedient child. He says, so, so the, the, the journey from being a disobedient child to being an obedient child, that is your conversion experience. That is coming to know Jesus Christ. But today, the problem is, listen, I'm sorry, my microphone is getting on my nerves today. But the problem is, when we sin, and I'm talking to Christians now, okay? Sinners, they know they're lost. The lost know they're lost, Okay? The hardest part, the people that are hardest to reach are the lost that are sitting in churches that are religious and think that they are saved, but they have a form of godliness, but they are denying the power. Folks, if you are in the business of sin management and you can sin and feel like you got away with it, you are on shaky ground, my friend. Because what we see here is that, that we are obedient children this time. It's time for us to, to make a change. But today we dress up our sin to make it look pretty and acceptable with thoughts like, who am I to tell people what is wrong and what is right? If they want to live that way, let them live that way. Or we live in a free country, let them do whatever it makes you want to feel happy. The grand theologian Cheryl Crow wrote a song that says, if you make it, if you, oh gosh, I had it right on top of my head. If it makes you happy... Why are you so sad? If it makes you happy, just do it. That's the theme of our world, but it is not the theme of the church. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but if you go back and look at Exodus 32, the people of Israel, they were singing that song. If it makes you happy, let's do it. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Word of God inscribed to him on tablets, and the folks down there are taking their earrings, their jewelries, their purses, everything they got, and they're putting it into a big pot, and they're melting it out. And the way Aaron explained it to to Moses, Moses came down and he saw these bunch of yahoos worshiping a golden calf. And he goes to his brother Aaron, What's up? What are y'all doing? He says, Moses, you can read the text for yourself. He says, Moses, what's up, man? We just, we were having a party. We threw all of our stuff into a pot and melted it up. And poof, here comes a cow. Go figure. Why did the Israelites form a cow and worship it? Because it was something they could do in their own strength. Something they could understand. And it did not demand them to be holy Because it is a God they created. Folks, there are still golden calves in this world today. When we do not take our sins seriously, I want you to understand something. It is a betrayal to God and a waste of every drop of blood that Jesus shed on the cross for your sins. We must take our sins seriously because there will be no excuses and no one to blame but yourself when you have to give an account for your sins. The second thing we see is that holiness is not a suggestion or a tip. It's a command. Holiness is not a suggestion or a tip. It is a command. Verses 15 and 16 say it this way. They say, but as the one who called you holy is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. Oh my goodness! You are to be holy on more than just Sunday mornings at ten thirty. You are to be holy more than just Sunday mornings at nine thirty. You are to be more. You are to be holy when you wake up on Monday morning and have to start the week. You are to be holy on Friday night when you're partying it up. You are to be holy again. This passage is not for non Christians. Okay, if you do not know Jesus Christ. You're out of the crosshairs on this part. I mean, you'll never know what God wants from you and you will never know the benefit of living for God and living life as he intended you to live. But when Peter is talking here, he's talking to the Christians. He's saying, look, you've got to be holy because God is holy. And he says, why is it important that God is holy? I'll tell you why. Because God does not demand anything of you. Listen to me. God does not demand anything of you that he hasn't done for himself. It says, be holy, not because he expects you to measure up to something. He says, you are my child. Be holy because I am holy. And listen, why is God holy? Is because he hates sin. Now I know when you're growing up and those of you that have, have raised children and when we've worked in children's ministry, you teach the children, we don't say hate because that's a strong word. There is no other word for God to use when it's regarding sin than hate. He hates sin. I don't know about you, but that sin that he hates, why do you think he hates it? Because it's the very sin that, that drove his son to the cross. It's the very sin that he had to atone for. Well, God loves us all, but understand that if we disregard our lustful thoughts, our pride, our jealousy, our backstabbing, our lies, our temper tantrums and justifications or or lack of, of conviction, and we think that we're getting a pass on it, I want to give you a heads up. He hates it. He hates it when you sin. He hates it when I sin. Because he has called us to be holy. And God has called you. It says here he has called you to be holy. But many Christians have, have adopted something called cultural holiness. What is cultural holiness? That basically means I'm as good as a Christian as a person that's hip aside, Or I'm as good as a Christian as the worst example I can find on TV. If I can relate myself to somebody else that's less than me, I'll feel better about myself. Where in Scripture does it say we need to measure up to our neighbor? It doesn't say be ye holy because your neighbor is holy. It doesn't say be ye holy because that bad person on TV that got busted for something is holy. It doesn't matter what culture thinks. It doesn't matter what laws are enacted. It doesn't matter what man thinks. We are to be holy because God has made us holy. Holy, all Christians, if you have signed on the dotted line by praying to have Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord, you are called to be holy. No options, no exemptions, no write-offs. God calls you to be holy because He is holy. Rick Warren said it this way. He says, God does not want you to become what He wants you to become. Let me say this one more time. God does not want you to become a God. He wants you to become godly, taking on his values, his attitudes, his characters. There is only one God, folks, and you are not him. You are not the God and the captain of your life. The world wants you to think you are. But if you are a blood-bought Christian, there is another power at work within your life. (laughs) I don't know about you growing up, but me growing up, when I became a Christian, I don't know why, but I couldn't get away with nothing. Somebody would always find out, when I think I got by with it, nope, it would always come out. And as I got older, it's still the case. That's why I try my best. I'm not perfect, folks. But I try to live my life in a way to where no one can say, "Uh uh-huh, I saw what he did. That ain't holy. I know I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to do that, right? No, that's what every Christian is supposed to do. I just happen to preach about it third thing we see is that fearing God can be a healthy thing. Fearing God can be a healthy thing. It says, and if you address your father as one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. In other words, that says we're supposed to fear God while we're here on earth. That's what that is saying. Verse 18 says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty Way of life. Inherited from the fathers. Not with perishable things like silver or gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world. But was revealed at the end of the times for you. Who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So that your faith and hope are in God. I want you to understand something. When it comes to fearing God, fear equals respect. If you're taking notes, I just want you to write the word fear and then the equal sign and respect. Do we respect God enough to fear Him? Now, when it says fear, it doesn't mean like what you see in the scary movies of someone coming to get you. Fear means I understand that God has blessed me with parents and I would never think about bowing up to my father or my mother because I love them and I respect them. Do we respect God enough to follow his command of being holy? Because fear equals respect. But, for example, if someone fear heights, they respect Gravity. Someone fears a speeding ticket. They respect the law of the speed limits. Someone fears disappointing a close person to them, maybe a relationship. They have respect for that person. Maybe they fear about sinning against God. Well, then they know that they have a fear of God. But folks, it is no surprise today's culture has lost its fear of God. Now listen, I don't want to stick my head in the sand, and and those of you that have been around much longer than I have, we have had sin in our world since the garden. And the issues that we are facing today in our courts and in social media have always been around. But they were not out in the open because generally our folks feared God and they had a sense of shame. Today, there is no shame. There is no place to hide. And the reason you get frustrated that churches aren't being filled is because people have lost the fear of God. The reason you do not take your sin seriously is because you have lost your fear of God. Because God has become to you and I a means of getting help. And feeling better about ourselves but we have totally passed the torch on his call for us to be holy. We want the benefits but we don't want the responsibilities. It sounds like our our culture. but folks understand something when you live a life that God has intended you to live by being holy, It is productive and helpful for you because it says in here, you were redeemed from living an empty life. Folks, let me ask you something. If living for Christ is so bad and before you became a Christian, the the things that you were doing, the habits you were doing, the drugs you were taking, the alcohol you were drinking and the lies you were saying and the the people you were sleeping with and all these things that you were doing that you were trying to get (coughs) fulfillment from, If that is so good, why don't you go back to it? Because Jesus says, look, do not be lukewarm. Either live for me or don't live for me. Get off the fence. I'm telling you what, I am not a perfect man. But if living for Christ was not fulfilling and has not made me a better person, why wouldn't I go back to what I used to do? I'll tell you why. Because every one of you know in the bottom of your heart that that life of not taking your sins seriously leads to an empty life. There are people that try to drown their problems in alcohol. But folks, your problems swim. I found that out. There are people that try to hide their their sins and their emptiness in relationships that go from... One person to another person. It's an empty life. But the thing is about emptiness, why do we have emptiness? Is because emptiness is a result of the absence of Christ. If you are empty today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that hole in your heart will never be filled until you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And for those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ and as your Savior and Lord, but you still feel empty, it's not His fault. Start taking your sin seriously and start being holy because God is holy. Because God's plan was always for you to be holy. God did not send Jesus to save his chosen people and you and I, because the world spun out of control. You understand that, right? He's you not know, like, oh my goodness, the people of Israel have have forgotten me, and and now the the Gentiles, those that are not Jews, they're having problems. Oh my goodness, what have I done? I guess I guess I'll have to send my son. That is not the way God orchestrated that. It was the plan from the very beginning. Nothing is out of control. God is still in control. Before this world was even created, God intended to save you from yourself and your sin and through Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 5.8, I say this verse just about every Sunday, but I love it. It says, But God proves His own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're in the middle of sin today, I want you to understand something. You don't have to clean up to take a bath. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You come as you are. Because while you are in your sin, Christ died for you. And then finally we see that living for sin means this is as good as it gets. If you are living for sin and you are not taking your sin seriously, I want you to know something. This life you're living is as good as it gets. And when it's over, it's going to get a lot worse. There is a hell. There is a penalty for those. God did not create hell to punish people. He created it for Satan and all those who follow him. If you do not take your sins seriously, you are following Satan. And you will follow him to his demise and to a place of eternal separation and torment and fire and pain for eternity It's a place that churches don't like to talk about, but it is called hell. It is real. Jesus is coming back, and there is a hell. And if you are living for your sin, this is as good as it gets. 1 Peter 22-25 say this, it says, By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, Since you have been born again, not perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fail and fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Selfish living is the mortal enemy of sincere love. If you are living for yourself, you are not loving God. If you are living for yourself you are not loving your spouse. If you're living for yourself, you're not loving your children or your grandchildren. Selfish love is not sincere love. How can we show sincere love today? It's because Christ modeled it for us. Everything and everyone will pass away, but only God's word will remain. Folks, focusing on yourself results in sin. But being holy, because God is holy, that results in living the life he's created you to live. I'll leave you with this thought. This is a pretty heavy message. This is a pretty uh, condemning message to you and to me and to everybody. But the beautiful thing about God's command of being holy, is he is holy, is he said, you don't have to do it alone. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, God has united you, united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure. And what? Holy. He made us holy. And he freed us from sins. Folks. Being holy is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And just know that you cannot pursue sin and holiness at the same time. They are two different directions, just as north is the south. You will lose fellowship with God if you do not take your sin seriously. So please, today, in an effort to be holy, take your sin seriously. And if God has convicted you of a sin... All you have to do, this is a beautiful thing, Christian. If you are a Christian, all you have to do is pray, God, forgive me. Confess it and turn from that sin and repent from it and it will be remembered no more. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ you say, I am as messed up as a come, preacher. I will tell you what. The blood of Jesus Christ can forgive you and all of the sin that you've accumulated will be gone. He will choose to remember it no more. Because when you say, look at my son, my sin and what I've done, you know what he's going to look at? He's going to see Jesus in your life. And he's going to put the stamp on you, holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for the fact that you've warned us to take our sin seriously, Lord. And it is my prayer that if there's anyone here today that needs to confess or repent or... Or to come to you for the first time, Lord. May they come forward. I will pray with them, and our church will begin discipling them on what it means to be holy. Whatever the decision may be, Lord, may you work, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?